Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Hello and welcome everyone to Shift with CJ. Today I've got a special guest for you. What makes him special? So many things, but one of the most important thing is that he has a mindset like us. He is a biohacker and I love talking to people who are immersed in the science and technology and people who practice it themselves daily. My guest on today's show is from Germany. He's an internationally known strength coach. He has also appeared as a cover model in many fitness magazines such as Muscle Flex and has also come on some other biohacking shows and has appeared in one of the famous books called Tools of Titan. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to leave, uh, leave uh, everything after the podcast and order that book. Now, he's also invented tools that help people achieve their fitness goals, such as the Bamboo Bench. He is a blogger. He owns a supplement brand. And what I found most interesting about him is that he is also involved in alternative styles of medicine. Now, Bernard, welcome to the show. CJ, thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here and share yeah, ideas and create new ways of thinking. And I encourage before we start every listener and viewer to question everything I tell. So don't take anything for granted. Uh, nothing is, as we say in German, chiseled in stone. So question everything and create your own mindset. Amazing. I love that because from questioning comes curiosity and curiosity sparks new ideas and is great for learning everyone. Now, first thing first, I want to know how to pronounce your name right because I was trying to understand. I was like, because as you know, he is from Germany, guys, and the name wasn't as clear. So how do you pronounce your name? Well, my uh, first name is pronounced Band. So and in Bant. when you speak English, so it is when you try to say the word burned, like uh, the third form uh, of to burn, it is mm -hmm. slightly the same, but it is Band and the surname is Stößlein. So in literally translated, that this means little punch or little hit. So, yeah, hmm. that is interesting. Now, while looking at your profile, I have already mentioned in the introduction so many great things, but also I came across another difficult term to pronounce, which I'm going to try to pronounce it. Heliproctor? <laughs> well, no, it's actually it's Heilpraktiker, which literally translated means heal practitioner. And let me explain this because this is a rather unique thing you can only find in Germany and with some restrictions restrictions in Switzerland. So a heel practitioner is something like a medical doctor and but with restrictions. So um, a appropriate translation could be complementary and alternative medicine practitioner. That means I'm allowed from a juristically standpoint to treat and diagnose diseases with restrictions, of course, and I'm allowed to do things like injections, infusions, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so this is something that is unique in Germany that you can treat and diagnose diseases with restrictions without being a medical doctor. So, and I did that 
to enhance my work as a strength coach, respectively personal trainer, because and as a being a personal trainer or a strength coach in Germany, uh, what you are able to do is restricted. So, for example, you could do acupuncture, acupressure, but no acupuncture, because even with this, um, the thin needles, you have to pierce the skin. So it is declared as an invasive technique. And you can only, only do this in Germany when you're a medical doctor or a what we call a Heilpraktiker. So, yeah. Okay, so I want to know, what are these restrictions that we're talking about? Um, concerning um, diagnosing and treating diseases as a heal practitioner or... What as a heal practitioner. Well, so when you mentioned the word yeah. restrictions, so talk to me about some of these restrictions that apply uh, for you as a heal practitioner. Okay, so some of the restrictions are that you are not allowed to prescribe uh, drugs that need prescription by a medical doctor. So we have um, several laws in Germany. For example, there's um, in a law called infection law, which regulates which diseases are in this particular um, law. And if a disease is in this law, uh, you are prohibited to treat it. So, um, for example, you have a sexual transmitted disease. You are not allowed to treat it as a uh, heal practitioner, but you must be able to recognize, respectively diagnose it. And then you have to report it to the uh, Department of Health. So this is an, a restriction, for example, uh, or you're not allowed to do some um, yeah, methods like x-rays mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, But you have uh, a lot of um, things you are allowed to do compared to everything else, like a nurse or a strength coach or personal trainer. So because you are allowed generally to work invasive, and invasive could be anything from using acupuncture or use syringe and do infusion, infusions, invasions and um, stuff like that. So, so then are you trained also like a medical practitioner in certain medical sciences such as physiology, pathology, um, let's say anatomy, well, which you have been trained because you're yes. a strength coach. But apart from that, um, what specific kind of alternative medicine do you practice? Is it, are you working with people on acupuncture or is it energy medicine or is it some Ayurvedic or traditional Chinese medicine? Well, uh, generally you're allowed to do all of that, but uh, then you must decide when, when you go to the Heilpraktiker school and then you have to pass two exams and, and after that you are not a heal practitioner, what I say, you're a heal theorist. And then you must start to decide in which field you go. So, and for me, uh, coming from the background of being a strength coach, I'm, I used a lot of um, stuff that goes into the field of, let's say, manual mm. therapy. This is something like called kinetic chain enhancement. So when I work with athletes, um, so for me, everyone is an athlete. It uh, doesn't have to be if someone has the intention to go to a competition. So I work with them and then you, you <laughs> I always say it's like, having tools in the toolbox. So the toolbox is the toolbox of health, mm -hmm. if you want. And the, the tools are things like manual therapy, gua sha, acupuncture, acupressure. And then I take all the techniques I've learned and apply the ones who are, will benefit you the most right now. So let's say uh, someone comes and I have to do a diagnose first, so an assessment, and then I can see what I can correct. So if someone who's training... 
I will see, okay, do you have some structural balance if you, issues, for example? And then you must see, okay, is it a symptom or is it the cause of something? You, know, you always will have to look at the root cause and see, okay, if someone has a shoulder impingement or frozen shoulder, for example, so is it really the issue in the tissue in the shoulder or is it only, or is it something else that leads to the issue in the tissue in the shoulder? So is the impingement a symptom or is it rather the, the root cause of the problem? So, and uh, most often it's, it's the victim that cries, and, but it's not the one who causes mm -hmm. it, you know? So the, the, um, um, the toolbox is getting bigger and bigger over the years because you learn new stuff, as you say, from energy medicine to traditional Chinese medicine, for example, and then I take everything I need. I have so much uh, I use, but it, it, it would be nonsense to use everything you, you know with the patients. Like going to a restaurant and they say, I have 100 recipes and... and, and um, on the not recipes, a uh, hundred dishes mm. on the card. So um, they're probably not all good. So, but if they have 10 dishes on the card, so the 10 are probably good, you know? So you cannot, you cannot know and work with everything. So, but you can be a generalized, uh, uh, um, a specialized generalist. So this is my approach, but I cannot work with anything and everything. So. If someone call, comes and says, for example, okay, I want to be a better um, triathlete, I can make him stronger, that he has a proper way of running and stuff like that, but, but not an expert in training triathletes, mm -hmm. for example. So when you're training, for people who have never heard the term kinetic chain enhancement and kinetic chain movement, so mm -hmm. when I think of this, my question is, does this series of movement where you use other tools like the gua sha or cupping or something else does this have to happen before an athlete starts training with you does it happen between training or does it happen after training yeah this is a very good question so to answer that is it depends mm -hmm. <laughs> as always so in an ideal world that does not exist i would approach this that an athlete comes so then uh, ideally, I've done an assessment before, so I can see it. So if not, I will do the assessment because the assessment starts the moment you walk into my practice because I see how you work, how you stand, and so on. And then I can decide what to do. And um, I would suggest doing it before a competition or before the workout or like I do it to save time and get uh, the most bang for your buck as the uh, as the saying goes in between sets so it's an intra kinetic chain enhancement and let me explain why because so let's say stick to the example i gave you with the frozen shoulder or the um impingement so you have a restricted movement so let's say you cannot lift the arm without pain or you have restricted external internal rotation so um, this is like a door. The door has angles, and if the door, if the angles are rusty, you cannot open the door proper, properly. So the, you only can open it uh, to some degree. But so, and now you have the uh, um, <laughs> you could slash and slam against the door or kick your foot against the door and open it forcefully. But this will result in pain and in damage of structure. So what I'm to do is I oil the joints in between because then you get um, 
more blood flow to the tissue and which is more uh, more important is you do a reset of your um, pain in the brain because the you have a, uh, a fear reaction. That means if, if you had issue in the tissue or damage or operation or stuff like that, um, your tissue gets calcified and so on and so on. It, it builds uh, scar tissue with its practically useless um, secondary tissue that has built up but has no proper function. And then you must have a reset the brain because the brain will... Um, imprint a pathway that says no 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 you cannot move like this or that because this will result in fear and it will prohibit your your um, range of motion because the brain thinks you, it has to protect you from wear and tear because the, the brain says no no it, it 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 was damaged before so i have to be really careful that it will not happen again and what i can do with this technique and the tools and techniques I apply within the technique is to do a reset in the brain that you can say, oh, no, no, okay, now I can move like this and that, or I can squat in full range of motion without having the fear of um, yeah, getting injured. So that's basically in a nutshell and a very, very, very short explanation what kinetic chain does. It is an instant enhancement of range of motion. And when you train after the treatment, because this, this treatment will not last forever, let's say the first treatment, it will last something between six to eight hours and then it uh, vanishes. But if you train after that, after you have a bigger range of motion, you treat mm -hmm. your brain and say, okay, now you can do more range of motion and, and will save this new um, range of motion. Now, when I... Think of this, whatever you said, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this because we live in a world where everyone is an athlete but is trying to be a super athlete. So we're not talking about the people who are professional triathloners or marathoners or weightlifters, but the culture that we are going through right now, especially with all the advertising and all these athletes being promoted, more and more people are taking the time to invest in exercising, but they're not taking that same amount of time in investing for nutrition or recovery. And that comes with a cost, right? That cost says you get injured very fast. And then you have, as you mentioned, right, you have all these neuroinhibitory movements where the, your body just doesn't want you to go and experience pain. So it is the same thing that would happen probably in one of the lowest, if you're using a deadlift, for example, and when you look at the ranges of motion of a deadlift, your weakest range is probably when you're lifting the bar up. Now, at this point, if you have a lot of weight and you just aren't able to lift it up, your brain is just going to tell you to stop because the weight is probably much heavier. But reality is you can lift that weight, but in a higher degree, um, let's say from the knee to up or just standing up straight. So those are... It's very interesting to understand that these pathways can actually impact joints. And um, the way I think of it, the human body is also like a well-trained machine. And like with any machine, you need to have all the components right, which means it should be well-oiled like a machine. Otherwise, you get rust. And then these two components will slide against each other. And that will create things like scar tissues and things like that. Now, I'm very happy you mentioned this. For a person who wants to start off with kinetic chain enhancement, 
and let's say he doesn't have a professional um, support like yours, what would be one of one or two of the basic things that people can do? Is foam rolling a part of it? Can you foam roll between exercises and between sets to sort of release the fascia? Does that relate to it as well? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a good question. So first of all, let me mention one thing is that, uh, as you said, because you said everyone tries to be an athlete, that's correct. But in our world now, people tend to be overused but under-informed. Mm -hmm. So that means they get a lot of information. And um, what is information? It is It brings you in a new formation. So from a state of mind as well as from a somatic physical point of view. So, and to answer the question, is, which is a great example, is yes, you can. You can do anything, but the question always remains is only because you can do things and there are exercises, for example, that exist or treatments, um, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're good or respectively good for you now in this particular or special um, state of being. So to answer your question, yes, of course you could from role, but the um, the thing is, it is always better that someone from the outside does the treatment on your body because you have um, total different leverage and things like that. So you could foam roll, but the thing is, before foam rolling, I would invest some time in thinking of fascia and not only muscles, so that you get an idea of how fascia works and to, to know what you're doing. Instead of doing something, invest some time or um, invest money and save time by doing it faulty and go to a good practitioner, um, but which leads us to the next question, what is a good um, practitioner? But you could do all those things, for example, like washer, cupping, as you mentioned, and even foam rolling on yourself. But you have to be aware that, for example, with the foam rolling, you can only ap uh, apply your own body weight. So you have always to work with your own body weight, like, for example, rolling on your IT band or something like that, so your ilio um, track band, but then maybe the pressure is too high. And with foam rolling, you have to take care of blood vessels and uh, uh, things like that, you, that you do not compress too much blood vessels, which could lead to um, other problems. And then you create more bad or you um, cause harm instead of doing good. Amazing. That is perfectly put. Um, what got you into strength training in the first place? Have you all? Well, yeah. So I've always um, been a sporty person. So I started with the age of three and got into professional uh, professional gymnastics. And then I did some track and field. And then uh, I did, uh, well, came to body classic bodybuilding, even with competition on stage. And I, I've been doing some Krav Maga. And so it, it was an evolution. So you get into new things. And uh, I've done a lot of things by myself. So I, have, I, 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 I don't talk the talk, I walk the talk. So I have insight in a lot of um, fields and I can draw from this um, experience. And so, yeah, this is a constant evolution. Um, yeah. Okay. Very well said. Um, you've also been mentored by the late Charles Polican. May his soul rest in peace. And for those of you who don't know who yeah. Charles is, he's a great figure in the fitness world. And he's been called the strength sensei. He's written phenomenal books. 
on exercise physiology and he's defined a lot of science in them. He's the guy who made German volume training um, popular. He's trained so many athletes. So how did you meet Charles and what's the story there? Yeah, that's a funny story. So I've been... I have been following Charles' work for yeah years and years, and I, to be honest, I've never dreamt uh, of uh, meeting him in person. And well, then um, as things go, when you have um, when you're needy, you uh, develop things. So I came up with the idea of the bamboo bench, and I developed some prototypes. And then that the sto- as the story goes, is there was a brand, and they had a certain bench to press on that. Um, was shaped uh, more narrow like a normal bench and they posted it and Charles shared it on his uh, social media and then I commented below and said well this approach is good the idea is good but the approach is not optimal and then I posted my idea of my uh, product and that's uh, how ultimately <laughs> led to uh, meeting Charles and the first time I met Charles was actually in Germany in 2000. 14, yeah, I think like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, 2014 on the seminar Modern Trends in uh, Hypertrophy. Yeah, and then, yeah, we became friends, and uh, or more like uh, uh, he was my mentor, and I'm being the student. And yeah, so that's uh, this, this was awesome. So to have, to have the ability to learn from him and being on seminars, and this, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, all of his work, the kind of knowledge and wisdom and ideas that he's brought to this world is well being embraced by the fitness industry i've seen some of his work um and i'm really a fan what would you say would be probably top one or top two things that you have learned from charles in when you were um, mentoring under him well the top things are probably to as he said not look at the world through a straw so and the other thing is to question everything to ask questions so and um yeah okay i would say that because this is sorry but because this is can be applied to everything else Uh, otherwise i have to just draw some little details the listeners may be not familiar with and so this is in uh, thinking in principles uh, he taught and to question everything and not taking things for granted just because someone uh, with a PhD or something like that stated. Charles was also a big fan of strength. Did he mention um, a lot of strength regimes, strength protocols? What was his idea on why strength or developing strength is very important for human physiology? Yeah, he, he was the most famous and most successful strength coach in history so far, uh, or is still. Um, but um, as you say, yeah, strength is the, as he said, is the mother of all qualities. So if you um, want to get stronger, uh, you have to get more flexible and vice versa. So you cannot gain more, if you, if you, yes, you can gain, for example, more flexibility, but then you need the same amount um, of strength in order to strengthen that flexibility because otherwise you will lose um, structural balance. Another t- uh, term that was coined by Charles, it says you, you don't, you need strength, but you need strength in proper manners. For example, that says it does not, when you're super strong in the bench press, but you lack um, the equivalent amount of strength for upper body mm-hmm. pressing, for example, um, you will not get stronger in the bench press. So you have to 
you have to have something that is called structural balance. And when most of people listen about strength, I can imagine listeners thinking about some person with huge arms and huge chest and huge back, typically what we look at in a hypertrophy kind of a model. Um, do you think mm -hmm. that is correct? Do bigger muscles mean bigger strength? Or is there any caveats to that? Well, to some point, yes, because there's a difference if you have a 30-inch diameter arm or you have a 55-inch diameter arm. So um, when you have bigger muscles, you will become stronger, but not to the intent when you focus on strength training. And this is a very good question because this is the ultimate thing everybody is constantly misunderstanding. Even people who have been for years in the strength industry, they do not get the, the, the absolute elementary difference between strength and what you said uh, um, with the right term is hypertrophy. So hyper means that is more than normal and trophy in the Greek term means to grow. So hypertrophy is an overgrowth of muscle mass. So in a nutshell to explain the difference, if you want me to explain it, is if you yes. have, um, you think of a, a, a tube of a rope. Yeah, you have the, and a rope is more or less a tube and it consists of smaller, smaller uh, ropes, uh, which will lead to the bigger, what we see as a rope. So strength means that you have the ability to <laughs> increase what is called intramuscular coordination. So intra means that you can um, recruit more muscle fibers. So the number of muscle, muscle fibers is your genetically uh, given thing. And then, okay, to make it more complicated, you have mm -hmm. different types of muscle fibers for different yeah, purposes. You have uh, type 1A, type 2B, and type 2X. So um, some are more fast twitching and others are slow twitching, which you can use for endurance stuff and the fast twitching stuff is more for strength. So, and when you want to get stronger, you must train your brain to recruit more of the fibers in your rope. So let's say you, if you would only have five little strings in the rope, um, hypertrophy would mean that you, have, you can recruit from your brain to the muscles too. So, and then you can make those two bigger. So the whole rope would appear to be bigger because the diameter is enhanced. And strength training means that you recruit five of the five so that the diameter will not get that much bigger, but you can recruit more of the fibers which will make you stronger. So to make a long story short, um, Strength is not the same as hypertrophy and you can be really strong without looking super strong. Uh, think of some um, little Chinese weightlifters, for example. Mar I was just a, thinking a about martial artists and weightlifters. Yeah. For example, so um, that's the biggest difference and people still don't get it. So they say, no, no, because he or she looks strong, for example, like a bodybuilder, which is, of course, they are strong, but not as strong, for example, as a powerlifter or an uh, Olympic weightlifter and an Olympic lifter is muscular, of course, but not as muscular as a bodybuilder. So this is the, the huge difference and this is the first elemental, elementary thing people should get aware of in terms of training because when you say okay uh, there's a difference in your approach and training style um, depending on your goals so 
that also means that when we're looking at people in the gym and someone who's looking super huge, there is a certain element that adds to it, which is the power to the muscle ratio. So how much, and like you mentioned, right, if you think of Chinese weightlifters or like some Asian um, martial artists, the amount of power and force that they can generate from that tiny muscle is probably much huge than what someone would generate from a bench press, someone looking big from a bench press. And this is one of the most common misconceptions. And thank you so much for um, clearing that because in this part of the world where I'm in, people normally look at people with bigger muscles and they think that they work really hard. And, you know, just because that ability to aesthetically look well results is or is a derivative of their hard work in the gym. But then you have all these, you have gymnasts, for example. Gymnasts create so much pounds of pressure, even in the most tiniest areas. And they're working all day long. So sometimes it's it's not always good to see things at face value, everyone. So if you're listening to this, please pay respects to the strength lifters, the power lifters, everyone. Just because someone is big doesn't mean that they are super strong as well. Now, when we were exchanging a lot of emails back and forth, where one of the things that got me most excited to talk to you was your um, your journey with water and what you do in a way to biohack water itself. Now, this I think is applicable to everyone because, as we know, water is the source of life. We use we came back from single cell organisms to multi cell organisms, and we emerged from water. So. And everyone drinks water. I hope everyone does. So tell me, what are you doing special when it comes to water? Well, okay, <laughs> where mm-hmm. to begin? So um, the thing is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a brief start. So let's, let's think of that. As you correctly said, we are 99% water. This, now I said, why 99%? Because uh, as you read, an adult contains of 75 depending Mm. on the literature percent but think of that every molecule has some water so practically we're 99 percent water and think of that you are you have skin you have bones more dense more soft structure but technically from a chemical uh, point of view you are are a wobbly mass of 99 percent water so this um declares the importance of drinking water but water is not water. So in school, we learned that water is H2O. So we have hydrogen and oxygen. But um, it is so much more to that. And after all those years of personal research of water, I come to the conclusion that we don't know nothing about water, really. So, And this is so an interesting topic. And what I do to answer your question uh, is I drink water that is restructured and I, I just mention all the things and then we can go if you want into all the details mm-hmm. that are uh, of interest for you. So the water is restructured. I will explain it later. So then it is, I use a filter that filters um, 99.99% of the things you can filter so with charcoal and stuff like that. So you get rid of all the chemicals, the biocides and everything that might be still in the water fluoride and stuff like that so fluoride is not that a big topic in germany but in other countries and uh, we can uh, get on this topic which is of mm-hmm. importance later so and then it i use a water ionizer so that what does it mean in a nutshell you have uh, platinum plates in this uh, machine 
this device and then the H2O go, uh, flows into the machine and then it gets separated in OH, OH mm -hmm. minus, so negatively charged electrons and H plus, which is positively charged protons. So the protons go into the sink and then you can drink the uh, negatively charged um, electrons. So, and then it has a module that um, enriches the the water with biophotons. So bio is, means life in Greek, and photon is the Greek word for light, a uh, life. So uh, light, not life. So and then, and it enriches it, it with um, red light. So um, to create something that is called easy water, which we will come later if you want uh, a special fourth phase of water. So I drink it. So by drinking this, I've been doing this for eight years now. Okay. Yeah, eight years, probably more than eight years. So and, and okay, this is not a health claim, but it's only anecdotal knowledge. I've never been sick since then. So because drinking, um, it's 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 like drinking antioxidants, yeah, because it is negatively charged. So and now I've put out a lot of words and if you want we can depict that and go into the special things because it's a lot of information in a nutshell so and if someone has never heard of that it might be um, uh, it would too be too overwhelming but what we're going to try to do for audience listening out there is that we're going to try to break it down so first thing first um, you mentioned that you use a water filter now you also mentioned that it eliminates 99.99% of all the things which a lot of people don't realize that is in our water supply. These things are heavy metals, pesticides, yeah. microplastic. You mentioned fluoride in US, Correct. fluoride is a big issue. And what we want to do is not put our body through this extra stress of detoxifying all these minerals because some of these will get stuck to our bodies and like they say, prevention is better than cure. So I get your point that you have an electrical, um, I mean, you have a device which takes out all the bad stuff from the beginning, things that we do not want into our body. And then other thing which is important, which has recently got a lot of interest is the alkaline to pH balance. So does your, now that it is removing all the um, all the negative parts of it, is it even alkalining the water? Because normally a water ionizer would generally alkaline the water. Yes. So, um, correct. So, think of that. I, I'll say something in, in advance. So, you either have a filter or you are the filter. So, that means if your body, and this depends on your genetically uh, potential of if you are a good or a bad mm. detoxifier in terms of how much... Um, uh, glutathione as transferase you can build in the liver for example so this is the importance of the filter and um, as you said yes to answer your question this device um, ionizes the water and because but ionize is not the, the correct word it's not precise because ions can be positively or negatively charged so uh, but it's correct it, you can increase the pH level pH means potential hydrogenity in Greek and um, the the scale goes from seven, which is super, uh, from zero to fourteen. So zero being super acidic, um, seven is neutral, and fourteen is super alkaline. So 
and both are, n well, not good because too acidic is bad and too alkaline is really bad. So you have to stay in in a certain range. For example, in your blood, your blood has a, a really small margin for pH. It's seven seven point three to seven four five seven point three five to seven point four five. So you have to stay in this um, particular um, yeah level. So to answer your question, yes, you can uh, increase the uh, alka, uh, the alkaline level of the water up to around, with my device, 9.5. So you can drink basically alkaline water, which is, from my experience and point of view, um, a very good thing. You touched on something very important. That is, you can either be a slow detoxifier or a fast detoxifier. Now... You mentioned glutathione, and for people who are listening, glutathione is one of our body's master antioxidants. And normally, everyone would assume, I, for the longest period of time, assumed that I can detox very well until I got a specific genetic report which says the glutathione transferase uh, gene, which is the GSTM1 gene, in my body is not there. So some people can have these transcription mm -hmm. factors on or off, depending on the environmental factors, um, like how well you're sleeping, what kind of food you eat, if you eat more broccoli sprouts and you get the precursors for glutathione, you will have more glutathione. But in my case, I have to take special precautions and I'm not in that tiny percentage of the population. There is a large percentage of the population there that doesn't have the prerequisite genes to manufacture right. glutathione. So you can do this from getting a genetic report, but just, I know that everyone who's listening is not going to get a genetic report, but we want you to embrace the idea that everyone is not perfect just because your friend, your partner, your, your boss can drink, smoke, or get toxins in their body and be fine the next day doesn't mean that you can do it yourself. And it is not your mistake. So I don't want people who are listening to this going into a negative perspective and thinking that I'm just weak, I am this, I am that. It's not like that. Our This is our own biochemical individuality. And we have to respect that. And the reason we're talking about this is so you get informed and then you take the necessary steps to fill in the gaps, whatever you have. Now, when we look at water, right? And when you look at water as a whole and you put it under a spectrum, the water doesn't have single molecules in like isolation. So water always has a group of molecules which are combined together. And when you look at when you don't filter water properly and when you look at tap water, it has an upwards of like 12 to 15 molecules all tied in together. But from what you're saying and what I've seen in some of the devices is that these healing waters have this specific ability to be micro-clustered, which means that instead of having upwards of 12 or 15 water molecules together, they're micro-clustered into four, five, six molecules. And this, in some traditional medicine, has also shown that gives water the life force or the energy that it has. So do you know if your water 
restructuring uh, unit is also microclustering it? Yes, correct. So this is this is actually the approach, and the one who figured that out was an Austrian named Victor Schauberger, and I really encourage every, all the listeners to get and research him because he did amazing stuff. And um, he showed that the second law of thermodynamics is not correct because the second law of thermodynamics in a nutshell says um, if you have friction, heat will occur. And he's, he demonstrated in water that this is not the case because if um, water in is in its, if it flows in a natural river, for example, uh, it can cool down the temperature. So. For example, water has its greatest density at 4 degrees Celsius and not uh, on zero, for example. So to answer your question, yes. The thing is, um, with restructured is not a scientifically term, but the idea is you want to create a water cluster that has a hexagonal shape, like it is in structure, uh, in nature. And let me explain. So when people drink, when you drink, for example, or people drink tap water, the water has to be pushed with great force through pipes so and it it destroys the water clusters chemical structure because it the pipes normally have uh 90 degree angles and stuff like that and it's not how water flows in nature if you observe like victor schauberger said observing nature and then copying it so we have to observe and when you observe what what how water flows in nature is that it 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 um, meanders. That means it, it, it flows like a snake-like movement. So you will never find a lake, a river, or uh, whatsoever that flows in a 90-degree angle. It does not happen. So therefore, the structure still stays hexagonal. So and now people say, okay, fancy words. What, what, what can I do with that mm-hmm. information? Is when you drink natural water that is not contaminated and full of pesticides, chemicals, and stuff like that, you have the ability to absorb it intracellular on a better degree, which means, so think of that. Everybody has experienced that, that, uh, that yeah, thing. For example, you get thirsty, and it's really hot outside, and then you drink something which has a neck, uh, has a... Uh, it's very acidic, like lemonade, for example. It has a lot of sugar in it, so you drink, 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 drink. Your belly gets swollen, swollen, so on, and, but you're still thirsty. And you drink and drink and say, well, I've drunk two liters of limo, for example, or coke or whatsoever, and I'm still thirsty. So this is the problem because the water into the in, in this lemonade uh, you drink does not have the ability to enter the cell. So uh, if you think of a shell... Um, a cell has a charge inside and a cell has a charge outside of the cell. So, and to probably, uh, the water, if it wants to enter the cell, has to have a certain structure. And then, which we can talk about now if you want, it has to have a certain charge to be, um, yeah, um, permeable, being permeable to go into the cell. You know, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But also, um, we've seen a lot of experiments done where, as you mentioned, when water is flowing through pipes, it's getting cut in different ways, maybe at a 90 degree angle, maybe at a 40 degree angle. But when you take experiments like you take, and this will come back to your point of biophotons, that you push water through a tube and it flows in a specific, um, let's say, energy level. 
But then if you take a normal pipe and you flow water through it, but now you add a spectrum of electromagnetic energy, which can come in the form of red or near infrared light, you will see that the water flows faster. And when we think about science, the only way for that water to flow faster is by adding high pressure. But in this two experiments, we're not adding pressure. We're only adding light. So correct. How this was my question in the beginning that how can water flow with a higher pressure just with light? And that also brings to the point that maybe that light is doing something to the water itself. Instead of being H2O, it is making it an exclusion zone water, which translates into H3O, where you have three components of hydrogen. And this is fascinating for me when I first learned about it, because you, as you mentioned, right, to get something inside the cell for the cell to be hydrated, it has a negative, you know, 100 minus 150 uh, milliwatts of electric potential. And this water by itself has that kind of potential to be used as a substrate to get into the cells. And when I think about this, I also think about now, let's extend this to the let's extend this to something even bigger. Now we have capillaries. Capillaries are these tiny blood vessels and they're carrying a lot of blood around. But when you look at the capillaries by themselves, they are really, really tiny. They're so tiny that even one, they're maybe a fraction of the amount of the red blood cell that flows into them. So in nature, now when we are, you know, there's the pandemic and people are spending more times indoor. We are not getting exposed to that frequency of electromagnetic radiation, whether it be from sunlight or the UV rays. There are chances that even in our biology, leaving water aside, that red blood cell is not going into the capillary because there is no pressure. And this is why when you see you're going outside, you're in the sun, people become much happier. Now there's other components to it, like the nitric oxide that increases with the blood um, in the blood, but there's also this pressure point, which I found to be very fascinating. What's your take on it? Do you do you feel that when and this again brings me to the biophotons part of it? So when you are infusing your water with those biophotons, do you think that the water coming out has enough pressure molecularly that it is driving right into the cell? Well, okay, well, where to start? So you touched a lot of important stuff. So uh, first of all, um, maybe we must question the thing that the heart is not a pump. So I know this is, this is going against all the mainstream medical things, and I'm not saying it's not a pump, but I'm saying maybe it's not a pump. And there's this uh, book um, called Human Heart, Cosmic Heart by a medical doctor who describes this phenomenon in a nutshell just to say he says the heart, okay, from a physical point of view, it is way mm -hmm. too small to pump, as you said, all the blood in a, uh, an average tall human body from a pure physical point of view when you say okay this is the size of the pump this is the length and the diameter of all the blood vessels as you mentioned way too small way too small so maybe it's more functional like a turbine mm -hmm. so and you said correctly that the um, capillaries are too small actually interesting and uh, very fascinating 
for blood vessels. So an erythrocyte um, in German, uh, so uh, this is the, 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 the term, so a red blood mm. cell, it, it has like a concave uh, shape. So it, in, in the center, it's thinner than on the outside. So it looks like kind of a closed donut. So and if it wants to go through the um, uh, tiny blood vessels, it has to fold. So the, or it has to change its shape to be precisely to be small enough to be pushed through the vessel. So and this is the common way of thinking how it's how it functions. But as you said, um, the we are water and water and we can't we contain a lot of electrolytes and this is the, the important thing. So yes, water alone, a current does not flow in water alone. You need electrolytes. So and uh, the ending Lysis, light, means that it is dissolved in something. So electrolytes like magnesium, potassium and so on, uh, calcium are solved in our bodily water inside and outside the cell, uh, potassium, uh, magnesium pump and all that stuff people heard. So and to come to your question is maybe it is functioning like another way because blood is like has has in its central core it has ferrum um, uh, which is iron so and so it, it can be charged so and if you put red light specifically in a specific red light and near infrared light to the body and it is exposed constantly but you cannot see it because it's out of the range of your vision and maybe this red light charges our human battery the electrolytes we have in the body the the, the good metals like the the iron in the blood cell and this closes the circuit and creates a flow so you maybe the blood is not pumped through the vessel maybe it is yeah soaked and sucked through this vessel by an electrical charge so like in a battery you have to close the circuit a minus and a plus pole which for definition is when a, when we are talking about something that is negative or positive it does not mean that the positive pole is a good and the negative is a bad thing so take the battery in a car you would not uh, open the hood of the car and say okay it has a neg negative pole i mm -hmm. cut this out now this is just in thinking how it works so you need something that is has lesser charge and something that has more charge for circuit uh, and the current to flow so Yes, I hope this was not too no, complicated, but you, you, you touched a lot of you things. You explained it very well. So then when we think about this energy passing through water and you mentioned electrolytes and the human battery, which I find to be completely fascinating because when you think of it, we are actually all of our cells are like human batteries, right? We have the mitochondria, which is giving us energy. Then we have these specific electrolytes and i would like to touch on the function of electrolytes because what i see normally is that when you have water which is commercially available water which is normally distilled the distillation process by itself rips it off of the essential minerals that is there and as you mentioned minerals are so important potassium magnesium chloride calcium sodium all of these are also available in nature you go to an ocean and you see it find the same thing you step into ocean water the one reason why it makes you feel so much better i mean if it's not super cold is because it has these 
charge, this electric charge, which also comes from the ground, because as we know, and is shown in many studies that the earth also has a negative electric potential. So what you could do is if you have been hydrating well, and then you are in the sunlight, this is what I tell everyone. When you want to start with the basics, think of yourself as a human battery, get yourself hydrated enough, step into some kind of an electromagnetic spectrum, which is not your Wi-Fi, but sunlight and try to remove your shoes and walk on the ground, maybe walk on the beach. And that will help you absorb those negative electrons. The minerals in your body will help increase the electricity. And now with the light, you're increasing the force and thus you get more hydration. And recent times, most of us, we've been focused so much about drinking water, but we forget that not all water, as we mentioned in the beginning, is created equal. And probably, correct me if I'm wrong, you have to take an effort now. It could be using what I use is like liquid mineral solutions or electrolyte solutions. You could take some very good quality sea salt and add a pinch of sea salt to your water to absorb most of the minerals. Keep yourself hydrated enough and just make sure that you are kind of interacting with nature and that will increase your body's energy levels because we know that once your cells are dehydrated your mitochondria hasn't have enough energy or it cannot do its job properly as well yeah correct so think of that if you burn a human body uh, everything that is left depending on the literature is four to five grams of electrolytes so this will um, declare the uttermost importance of electrolytes so water is important, yes, but as you said, uh, and I think we agree on that, is that um, all, all, think of that, all functions, all in the sense of everything, uh, will not work properly if you have a lack of electrolytes. So now people say, well, okay, then I eat a lot of fruit and vegetables and things that, yes, uh, good approach, but nowadays, as I said, it's, it can't be done anymore because to take in the amount of electrolytes and minerals, vitamins and all that stuff you would need for proper function, you would, eat, you would have to eat, let's say, 50 apples a day yeah? because the, the soil, unfortunately, is due to monoculturing and stuff like that and is so... Um, Depleted. Yeah. Correct, yeah, and uh, it's not repleted and because uh, they use those extreme monoculturing just to produce fruits, for example, apples, let's stick to this example, that look fantastic, but from a nutritional standpoint, it is, it is more or less empty. It, maybe it may taste well, but, um, and it looks fantastic, but it's, from, it's not nutrient-dense. It, it, is, it is so empty that you would have to eat an, a ridiculous amount of fruit and vegetables. Uh, most people don't have the time and money to consume because it would be a, a day-consuming activity just eating all the time. And there's someone who has written a very good book. It's Robert O. Becker, medical doctor and... Um, this is a very good book. I'm just forgot it's, the it's name. It's an intense um, read. I uh, the electric um, yeah body electric was it the body yes yeah correct body yeah body electric. But um, uh, because you mentioned that you think of the body as a battery, you can see that on your palms and on your foot you have the negative poles of the body, and that's why you can get charged when you walk on the beach or in the forest and stuff like that because you're 
earthing, your grounding and your reabsorbing electrolytes that you will get rid of. Because think of that from almost day one on, um, we uh, get isolated because we wear shoes, like f which I like to call foot prisons if they are not uh, barefoot <laughs> shoes, uh, because they compress your feet and they have a rubber sole. So you are technically you are insulating yourself from the ground and when you walk in the city or something like that you you do not work on earth you walk on concrete or in stuff like that so you're losing all that uh energy and just like like your cell phone needs energy you need energy too and your the butter the battery has to be recharged but in our in our very unhealthy lifestyles in constant stress which is another thing that leads to depletion of your battery's energy um, you have way too less things that focus on recovery and this was the thing uh, you mentioned initially in, on, in our um, discussion that the re people work really hard but the bottleneck always is the recovery it does not depend how hard you train for example it's always how well and fast you can recover from that stress. You destroy things during training, then you have to focus on um, yeah, building them up as fast as possible. What is the temperature in Germany right now? Um, today, I didn't check it, but I would say something around three or five degrees Celsius. So it's still Do you cold. take the time to go outside without shoes? Well, to be honest, uh, not in uh, during this temperature, no. But I wear um, at least I wear uh, barefoot mm -hmm. shoes, so uh, I I always try to get a proper postural structure. And but I do other things. Uh, I sleep on the grounding mat, for example, and stuff like that. So if I cannot go to the forest uh, because it's too cold and to be honest, you don't have always the time. This is not an execution uh, because people uh, say, oh, I don't have the time, but I still have to work and I have to do things. And so I'm looking for a kind of shortcut to get all those stuff in without going out. Of course, it would be better to be outside, to disconnect from all this social media and all those uh frequencies which is really hard to do because even when you go to the forest germany is not that big so compared to other countries so we still have wi-fi connection in the forest which is rather mm -hmm. bad thing with the 5g and 6g uh, stuff coming up so yeah. um, i like the point that you mentioned there that there is always an option especially i mean for you guys it's a bit cold but here in the middle east in the desert it's a good temperature all the time to go outside walking barefoot but reality is in in our world we just don't have the time for it and there are and that doesn't mean that you have to discourage yourself from going out or getting the same kind of energy from going out and what you mentioned which i wanted to come to is that you have all these biohacks and devices that you can use to generate the same like right now i'm standing on a standing desk and under my desk is a mat a grounding mat which i have plugged to the to the ground you can plug it to the electrical circuit if you if you're the country that you're living in has that kind of a circuit or just plug it into the ground i've plugged it into my yard and while i'm standing with you i'm having water which is enriched with minerals before this interview the red light was on and even while doing most of your work you can get a certain percentage of healing so there is no just because you don't have the time or your or environment doesn't allow for it try to get new ideas new ways 
in hacking it. And this is why we're having all this conversation at this moment. What about vortexing? What's the deal with vortexing? Yeah, okay. Well, vortexing is the thing um, I mentioned Victor Schauberger found out. So that he found out that water is creating, if it's flowing properly, um, a kind of vortex. And the vortex is that it's like people never heard of a vortex. It looks like, yeah, a kind of um, tornado. Yeah, tor tornado, but the tornado is mm -hmm. on land. So I was struggling yeah. with this. <laughs> but correct the shape is the same so and this is what creates the hexagonal so the uh, uh, water cluster you need um, for proper getting the, the water into into your cell because you don't want all the water to, to stay in the extracellular milieu you want it to be in the intracellular milieu so that means in the cells so, and when people, there's always a debate, to add, let me add this, that people say, yeah, basic, basic water and you have to have an alkaline um, diet. Yes, but you also need a, acidic stuff because uh, it, that's why it's called amino acid, for example. So, but to stick to the level of the cell, the, le the cell inside has to stay negative and the outside has to stay positive because that that it will function properly so it can pump things out and absorb things that have to be inside and vice versa so and that's the same on a bigger scale when you think of your human battery so you have that you start with the digestion in the mouth which has to be alkaline then it goes into the stomach where it has to be uh acidic and it there's a an uttermost importance of being having enough hydrochloric acid um so that the stomach acid really is acid and then it goes to the next part which is the duodenum this is the in german this is the term it's called the, the 12 mm -hmm. finger intestine so and then it gets alkaline again so al um, to make this clear you need alkaline um stuff in your body you need electrolytes but you also need um acidic stuff and then you need a, a vortex to create a water that enables all those negative and positively poles to flow so that you create a constant and properly fl properly flow of current in your body. So on a cellular level as on a bigger level. So this is uh, like in the Kubalion, the hermetic laws, as inside as outside, in the big as in the little, left as right and so on. So mm -hmm. it's, it is again thinking in principle. So what's the best way to vortex the water? Huh. How do you okay. use so, it? Do you um, use a bottle? Do you use a glass to vortex? Like, do you just, I want people to, because now people have an image of a tornado and most of the people who are listening to this will somewhere or the other in their lives come across a water which has some kind of a vortex inside. But how long does that energy from that vortex last? Can you do a bottle and then like have a bottle equivalent of a vortex and then transfer it into a glass bottle and take it outside will you still have the effect or do you have to do it in a glass and then drink that glass straight up well okay I, um interesting question i cannot give you a an answer to that how long it will last i would say uh i from a yeah i i don't think it will last a long time but me neither prove me wrong i i i simply don't uh, know it but i would say 
um, from an intuitional standpoint, I would vortex it and immediately drink it. But because it's the same with alkalinity, uh, uh, alkaline water. If you put it, you can put it in a in a glass, but then the glass has to be uh, as dark as possible because the light will destroy the the upsplitting of the of the H two O. And to answer your question, I use a special device so that the, when I open the the tap water, the water goes through this um, special device that creates the vortex. Then it gets filtered ionized and enriched with biophotons but there are good um, companies there's a company in switzerland that builds a manually device and looks it looks like uh, it's made of acrylic glass and it, it looks like kind of a funnel but it, it it has to have a certain geometrically shape you cannot just use an ordinary funnel so you have um, mm -hmm. again google victor schauberger and then you will get mm -hmm. into all that stuff but uh, in a nutshell you have a funnel and the water has to flow from the side into the special created funnel and then gets narrower and narrower and on the downside um bottom then it is vortexed and then I would uh, drink it immediately. This, um, you've answered two of my questions because the next question I was going to ask you is that if vortexing is just spinning of this water with energy, can you use a normal blender or a normal device to vortex? Because years ago, when I first found out the work of Gerald Pollock from the University of Washington, I did not pay a lot of attention into it. And what I was doing for, I think one week and then I got tired of it was just using my Nutribullet to stimulate some kind of a movement and then it was just not convenient so I stopped it but now in preparation of this conversation it just took me back to that time and I just had to ask because people might imagine a vortex also being created from a Nutribullet or some kind of other mixing devices yes correct this is to answer the question no it will not work because um, yes, all those are vort kind of vortexes. So what's the plural of vortex? Vortexes? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So um, that's like opening a sink. So then you will create a vortex too. But this has to be, as I said, in a special geometrically shape in order to be really create a water that has a, a, a hexagonal structure. Otherwise, um, it will not work. No, unfortunately not. This is not, there's no shortcut to that. Mm -hmm. So you have to use a device which specifically does this. Have you heard or come across biogeometry? In terms of what In terms of just, um, so there's these different, like you mentioned, these geometrical shapes and designs, which when energy passes through them or water passes through them, it neutralizes oh, yeah. the energy frequency, the electromagnetic radiation, so that it doesn't, for in some reason in a better word like attack your cells and your body yes yes but uh, i'm not a specialist in this to say but i know that and, and i think and strongly believe that geometrically shapes like the flower mm -hmm. of life or the metatron cube and stuff like that have special abilities on your body so and respectively on a cellular level but i I'm not an expert into that. Do you think if you tattoo one of these geometric shapes on your body, then um, life becomes better? 
Uh, to be honest, I, I have thought about that a uh -huh. long time um, because when you think of the work of um, uh, Mia Masaru mm -hmm. Miyamoto, who said Information. that uh, you can yeah. influence, correct? So um, maybe. But then uh, I struggle with the idea because when you get tattooed, the tattoo is um, in your body. So uh, it might move uh, to your lump lymph uh, system and might cause more harm than good. So maybe, but um, from a human point of view, I mean, we are humans born without those mm -hmm. Stuff so every symbol maybe uh, might will will have an influence and an impact to your cells and to your body as a whole, positive or negative. So that's why all those things work in the world we live in, a, a world that is constantly. Yeah, how can I explain that? Not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, it is a world of symbolism we live in. So all those symbols have an effect on the body. But think of that, we are born without symbols on the body. So I don't think from a natural point of view that we need them on the body. But I can understand why certain cultures do it. Um, I'm not a fan of it, mm -hmm. to be honest. I was just asking because um, a week ago we were, I've been wanting to get a tattoo for the longest period of time. And one of the most biggest struggles for me is, um, so I'm the kind of a person who clears dopamine out of the system very easily. So that in normal term means that I get bored very fast of things. Um, and yeah, the club? I think, I think that's one common <laughs> commonality with everyone I speak, uh, especially on the podcast that the continuous desire to not like just look at the next good thing and just understanding and embracing it and increasing your personal growth or your knowledge. But one week ago, I was talking to one of my friends and we've just been talking about these tattoos and suddenly it kicked my brain that what if I actually do, I was always wanted to do something meaningful. And then what if I actually design or get a tattoo design in the shapes of these biogeometrical figures, like you said, the Metricon's cube or the flower of life or the tree of life, like all these things can, and I'm just at this point, it was just an idea that crossed into my head. So I thought, let me just ask you your uh, take on that. Now you've also, we've spoken so much about water and I'm thinking, a lot of people are just going to benefit so much from this conversation. I also want to touch on something that you mentioned early on your introduction or how you got introduced to Charles, which is the bamboo bench. Now, for someone who's thinking or just listening to this conversation, their imagination is all over the place. So can you please describe for us what is this bamboo bench? Okay, yeah. Um, first of all, it's not made of bamboo. This is just... Ah, no way. You simple. disappoint me. I thought I would have some more bamboo structure in my house. Ah, okay, let's go on. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. But um, so this is a device I created because I had from uh, coming from this bodybuilding background, I always had um, issue in the tissue with my right shoulder. So like everyone who's regularly visiting a gym will inevitably uh, or eventually experience shoulder problems when they are doing a lot of bench press and it doesn't matter if the bench press is with uh, dumbbells barbells inclined flat on the machine or whatsoever but the problem is that and i start with the problem then i explain the, 
how I came to the mm. solution is when you lie on a bench or are sitting on the machine, your shoulder blades are fixated. So that means they cannot move as they're supposed to be um, in a natural structure or movement. So let's say you're doing dips, for example, push-ups, or you're working your uh, chest on the cable cross, then your um, shoulder blades can move freely. And why should they move freely? Because um, it, it, the, the movement of the shoulder blade is involved in the movement of the shoulder, depending on the, on the angle, if it's, yeah, but uh, especially when it is, I don't, I, so when uh, the shoulder, you do an abduction mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you rotate out, uh, externally, yeah, like it's in the bench press, for example, then you create and you're lying on a, on a conventional bench or sitting on a machine and your shoulder blade is fixed, you create um, a lot of mechanical stress in the rotator cuff. Why? Because uh, it is not very properly designed. So the, the, the shoulder joint has a lot of movement, a lot of range of motion, but the socket, of uh, which we call pan in German, of the of mm -hmm. the joint is way too small for the head of your um, humerus, so the bone of, of the upper arm. So, but it has to be this way to enable this great movement, and therefore the uh, joint is all uh, only, yeah, saved by ligaments and mm -hmm. muscles. So to enable this great range of motion. So, and then you have the tendon. The, of the long biceps head running from the, uh, from uh, downwards upwards and then you have the supraspinatus so and when you abduct the arm and externally rotate the already narrow uh, shoulder joint will cause friction of this mm -hmm. tendons so this will eventually lead to impingement or a pathology called frozen shoulder that means from a specific angle 60 between 120 degree you have pain by lifting doing uh, dumbbell raises or working overhead and stuff like that and so i came up with the idea okay what if i can narrow the space so that you are lying on your um, cervical spine down to mm -hmm. your buttocks so and you can still perform a pressing movement, doesn't matter if it's flat, incline or decline or on the machine. And then you can eliminate or at least reduce to an extreme amount of um, mechanical stress in the rotator cuff. Plus, you can enhance the range of motion, which will eventually lead to more um, um, recruitment of muscle fibers. So we have two good things. Reduce the mechanical stress plus you add more range of motion, which, as we spoke initially, will lead to theoretically more hypertrophy and or more um, strength. Uh, that, in a nutshell. that was a very, very good description. And now I think a lot of people, including myself, can obviously I'm looking at you on video and while you were explaining all these things to me, I was moving my shoulders back to understand why have I been injured so many times? Like as, um, as a person who was trying to train for CrossFit competitions, I've faced these kind of injuries a lot just because of the nature of these exercises coupled with the intensity. But you're saying that even a normal person who goes to the gym 
chances are you're more likely to have this problem just because not because you're doing something wrong or not because you aren't putting in the effort it's because how anatomically your body is structured now when i saw the bamboo bench i honestly full disclosure i thought it was made of bamboo and it was just like a covering after the bamboo but um when i was trying to imagine of its function i also felt that that extra range of motion includes this also your again when you're moving some kind of like a weight through space and um you're putting all this weight on your cervical spine that also engages a lot of balance and stabilization which you would not have from a traditional bench and seen a few studies where stabilization is probably one of the other key factors to also increasing things like now when you think of a stabilizing you're also thinking about your body's reflexive like the way your reflexive muscles fire um just to keep you like upright and um in balance but that also in so many studies have shown to increase growth hormone levels and this is probably why you're even seeing better result apart from the um apart from the structural damage that would occur i think it is also a very good in my perspective way to increase some of those neuro firing and um increasing stabilization in the muscles so you get a better hormonal output by using a device now this device it comes with velcro straps and you can attach it for people who are listening to an average bench you don't have to have a special bench for it it is not something that is super heavy that you have to like carry around it is just an attachment that goes on your bench and creates that space where you get that increased range of motion and we think about this as one of those like i mentioned in the beginning it's one of those tiny tools that you can add to your arsenal and which creates a big difference into your life now when you're using the bamboo bench um do you prefer using for all your sets and does it always does it have any other application i mean in terms of um apart from doing it in a bench press or maybe doing it in a fly can you use the bamboo bench for a uh, bamboo bench for something else like in any standing movement or that is not recommended yes of course so let me add that you write so what what wires together from a neurological point of thinking fires together that's great and i always explain it is like riding a bike for the first time without those uh, little assistant mm-hmm. wheels yeah so it is a bit shaky and your brain has to learn a new movement because doing bench press doing flies doing this and that working on the machine your brain has learned a certain neurological pathways is okay now i'm it's monday i'm doing international chest day <laughs> and i'm doing chest and chest is this and that so and now it gets oh what 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 is this so yeah as you have you have it has to say oh i have to learn something new so um we're learning something new and then of course you can use it with as you said with pretty much any bench i've tested i honestly have not not seen a bench yet uh, from a manufacturer that, that it doesn't fit on uh so it's 1 meter long so that you have it's built for small people and for taller people and um you can carry it everywhere you can clean just clean it it's it's from uh artificial leather is the surrounding so it's it's uh not made of any animals mm. and those are uh, for your vegan folks Yeah for example I mean yeah why not you don't have to make it from leather you could but then it would be uh way too expensive yeah mm-hmm. why why do there's no necessity and 
And yes, to answer your question, of course, you can use it with any machine. You can use it. Uh, it doesn't. It's a, if it's plate loaded or stack weight doesn't matter. You can use it with uh, dumbbells. You can use it for flies, and you can use it for all the other exercises. For example, like reverse flies. Think of that. That because the problem occurs too when you're sitting on a on a machine with your back and your fixed shoulder blades again, and then you're trying to do this movement yeah, on, on a machine. For example, you can do it with uh, for rare deltoid. Or um, uh, I created an exercise that is called uh, Stößlein, which is my surname, Stößlein face pulls using the bamboo bench. Because think of that, uh, face pulls done correctly is a very good exercise for your rhomboids, you're stabilizing your shoulder girl. But the problem is, it's most of the time it's done uh, incorrect because people, they stand or either sit and then they, they do the face pull like this but the problem is that they're shaking too much the work is coming too much out of the low back so when you attach the bamboo bench for example on a bench then you can have two um, advantages because you sit on the bench so your back is fixed and you cannot uh, wobble around so you cannot um, use a faulty movement and you still have enough space for your shoulder blades to move so you can do the movement yeah, without shaking, but still have the full range of motion in comparison to sitting on a regular bench. So with your with your back against the um, the bench. So yes, and this is these are just two, three, four, five examples how you can use it. You can use it for floor press, for example, when you're pressing with dumbbells or um, barbells on the floor when you want to train sticky points and want to reduce the range of motion of your pressing movement but still want to have uh, free moving shoulder blades so the variety goes far beyond um, bench pressing wow i love that i love that you thought about all these things and again uh, for people who are listening this is not coming from a person who just saw an exercise and thought oh okay let me go invent something it doesn't work that way these Things come from years of experience, years of getting injured and then desperately probably having a need to solve a problem. And with Bernd's case, he, you know that he's, like he mentioned, he's been doing this for years. He's been trained in so many disciplines and he's used all of that knowledge to get something to help everyone not probably go through what he or his colleagues or what his clients have gone through. So I would definitely encourage you to check that out. And also notice what he told about the, your, um, the neurons that wire together, that wire together, fire together. This is a very big component, which average people don't think about when it comes to training. You have to challenge yourself, not just in the weight aspect, but also in the other things we spoke about, like the balance. One good example that comes to mind is that you can do an exercise for your legs. Now you could choose to do a squat on with a bar. And this way, it's going to be more harder for you because apart from the weight that you're using, you also have to stabilize a lot. And classically, you can also do this with a leg press. But we know that evidence has shown that leg press doesn't even come close to what you can achieve from doing a traditional squat. So that is the movement of more range of motion, the balance, the neurocircuitry. And if you're a 
if you are getting old, then it's going to be probably the thing that is going to save you from um, falling down and breaking a hip, which is a big problem because of sarcopenia. Now, if someone wants to look at the bamboo bench, firstly, let me ask you, how much does an average bamboo bench cost? Well, in, in euro, it's 99 Nine, euro, including VAT. Okay, 99 euros, including VAT. And is this available all over Europe? Do you guys ship internationally? Well, yes, I have. I don't sell it myself. I have distribu mm -hmm. anymore. I have distribution partners. So that means in, in Germany, you have exclusive distribution partner. And I have, um, for example, in uh, England, Italy, Italy, we have Spain, we have Australia, so far Poland. And um, I'm not sure if, if I touch everyone now. But yes, you can, um, for example, depending on the location. I don't, actually, I don't know if you have someone in the uh, United Arabian Emirates. Uh, so I have to check mm -hmm. that. But yes, theoretically, yeah, you will, you will have access to it all over the world. Yeah. Amazing. So everyone who's listening, take some time after this podcast. If you're driving, don't do it now, please. Take some time after this podcast to just absorb whatever we said. Have a look at the uh, work from Victor Schomburg, Gerard Pollack, and make sure you go and check the bamboo bench out because, hey, if you get injured, you're not going to be able to train. And if you're not being able to train, if you are a serious athlete, you're going to hate your life because there's nothing worse than sitting at home and not being able to train. With that, Bernard, I'm so, so, so happy that we had a chance to have this conversation together and you brought in so many new ideas. You answer so many questions, which is very helpful for everyone. If someone wants to get in touch with you to um, just get in touch, say hi, or maybe just work with you, what is the best way for them to get to you? Well, you just can Google my name or you can write me an email. It's the same. You just have to type it <laughs> correctly because uh, you have to convert the name into uh, um, internationally spoken so it's uh but you i think you can blend this into or mm -hmm. you can write it so i will um, help everyone out the most easy way yeah, i will help everyone out with that i'm going to mention all the links for his website and um, his instagram he's also very active on instagram so i will mention all of that and i really appreciate you being on the show and doing what you do well, CJ, thank you very much for the invitation. And if people like what we have to share, maybe we can do it. Yes, too. please let us know if you like whatever we've spoken about or something that you would like for us to speak about. This is CJ signing off from Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone have a great day ahead of you. Yeah, I wish everyone an energetic day. Thanks for listening. And thank watching. you, everybody. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.